You're listening to the Faith Roots Audio Podcast with Pastor Willie George. You can watch the full video version of this episode and join the conversation with your comments on the Faith Roots YouTube channel. Simply search Faith Roots on YouTube and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Now, here's Pastor Willie George with today's message. Hello, I'm Willie George. I want to welcome you to this new series in the Faith Roots podcast. And I hope that you will subscribe to our YouTube channel. And uh, you can really help me if you would just hit that little thumbs up button. In fact, the more of those that we get, uh, the more likely we are to have increased exposure on YouTube. So you'll help us a lot if you do that. I'm going to talk this time about a subject that is near and dear to my heart, and it's something that God really impressed upon me in the early part of 2021, and it's called the law of continuance, and it's something that I began to see in Scripture. Even though I understood parts of it, I I saw the importance of it being identified as a spiritual law, and it's embodied in this verse in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, which says, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, if this was something that was not a certainty, Paul could never have begun the sentence by saying, being confident of this very thing. He would have said, let us attain to this or uh, pray that you may be accounted worthy of this, but he didn't. He said, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, which means that God has every intention of finishing you. And then we go to the book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, which says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, Uh, That word can also be translated developer, but you can't take away the idea of finishing. That's, That's important. God doesn't just start things. He finishes those. It's inherent in God's nature to finish every work that he begins. And why would this be? Well, it would be because God has foreknowledge. And God knows whether or not a person is going to end well. He knows whether they're going to stay faithful all the way to the end of their life. He understands that, knows that ahead of time. God knew Adam was going to fall, but he created Adam anyway because God is intent upon giving people the opportunity to finish whether they do or not. He wants people to finish well. So it's inherent in his nature to do this. He has an end, a good end in mind for all who come to him. And unfortunately today, there's a doctrine in the church world. Uh, We call it replacement theology. And it basically teaches that the church of Jesus Christ has replaced the nation of Israel and that all of the promises that were given to the nation of Israel now belong to the church. And so Israel is a nation just like any other nation. It's no different and it's not special, doesn't have a special destiny. And I would completely disagree with that. I don't believe that's what the Scripture teaches at all. And I want to base it upon what I believe we read here in the book of Romans chapter 11. In fact, Romans 9, 10, and 11 is about God's continuance with the nation of Israel. Listen to what Paul said in verse 25. For I do not desire, brothers, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness in part has happened to Israel 
until the fulfillment of the Gentiles has come in. So all Israel will be saved, as it is written, The Deliverer will come out of Zion, he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable or without repentance, the King James says. The idea here is even though many of the Jewish people are, are, are opposed to the message of Jesus Christ, do not believe Christ was Messiah, they have a real problem with that, they, they believe we're totally wrong in believing this, uh, Paul says that even in spite of that, and at the time that he wrote this, the number one enemy group of his mission were Jewish people. And they were the ones who stirred up persecution, eventually were the ones who put him on a boat to Rome because in order to escape with his life, he had to appeal to Caesar to get away from their accusations, and they drove it, but God used it all. And God used it all to put the Apostle Paul in front of the most powerful man in the world, the Roman Emperor Nero, and it was God's purpose to put Paul there. And this is just a little side note. God never judges an empire. A nation does not until he first gives it a chance for salvation. Uh, Egypt was not judged in the time of Moses until it first was saved during the time of Joseph. And so if God is going to ultimately judge the Roman Empire, and we know from the prophetic scriptures that he was, that's what the book of Daniel shows us, then we know that the Roman emperors are going to have to have a witness, and there was nobody more capable of doing that than the Apostle Paul. He was brilliant, and he was the perfect man for the job. And he not only had the wisdom to argue his case for the gospel and the resurrection of Christ, he had the experience because he did see the resurrected Christ, he had the, the, the background because he came up opposed to Christ, was completely in opposition to what the Christian church was doing. And, and so he had a remarkable conversion. And so his platform was very strong and it served as a great witness. And Nero did not receive it, but nonetheless, Paul had a chance to go there and teach it. Uh, I want to show you something here out of the, the book of Matthew, chapter 26. Matthew, uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, the story of Judas. And it, it's, it's just a fascinating story. And, and here it is when Jesus is betrayed in the garden. And it says, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now his betrayer had given them a sign, whomever I kiss, He's the one, seize him. So uh, Judas said, I'll identify Jesus for you. And even though it's dark, you can tell he'll be the only one that I kiss when we go into the garden. And immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi. What a phony. And he kissed him. And by the way, uh, the scripture says that Satan at this time had entered into Judas. So, and Jesus knew that. And so this was really Satan stepping into the garden in great mockery to Christ, kissing Jesus in the body of Judas and Jesus said to him, now he's appealing to the humanity of Judas, friend, why have you come? That's fascinating to me. Even in this moment, Jesus in his great mercy, and um, when I get frustrated with people sometimes, this is a story I have to read because I, I see something here where uh, it doesn't mean we approve of everybody's behavior, but we always want to see people turn. 
And that's what Jesus is doing to the very last. Friend, why have you come? This was an appeal to the conscience of Judas. Then they came and they laid hands on Jesus and they took him. So you can see Jesus' great desire to finish here. This commitment to finishing was just a huge, huge part of the ministry of Jesus. I want to read to you now from the Gospel of Luke, the 14th chapter. And uh, I want you to listen carefully to these scriptures because he's, he's talking here about this great principle. We'll start reading in verse 28. He said, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Uh, he, he, he puts great emphasis on the importance of finishing. And I, I think that's one of the, the greatest keys to the blessing of God is are you a finisher? A lot of people never find their true place and identity and purpose in their walk with Christ because they have a habit of not finishing. You know, we have a Christian school uh, called Lincoln Christian School, and one of the things that we do to teach our kids the importance of finishing is that we have a no-quit clause. And let me tell you why we put this in. We put it in because when we didn't have it, there were a number of kids who in the midseason decided to quit a sports team. And what it did is it kept us from being able to fulfill our obligations to other schools. And we were already having a hard time getting public schools to play us as a private school and so uh, when we cancel games midseason and they can't find games to replace us, it really hurts us the next year when we come back around and try to get games. This, this quitting in the middle of a season is unacceptable. So we instituted a policy, and we didn't institute it until everybody had plenty of notice, and we said we have a no-quit clause, and that is when you sign up for a team and you tell the coach, I'm going to play this sport – there is a beginning and there is an end. And if you quit midstream, you will not be permitted to come back to school. We, we will also have you quit school because this is a serious deal with us. Well, uh, immediately it stopped all of that. And I know some people howl at that kind of thing, but I'm telling you, it worked. And what we do is we teach our kids, be careful. Don't commit until you know this is what you want to do. Nobody's making you do this. You do not have to play this sport. You do not have to engage in the school play or uh, commit to the pep band for, for the whole year. You don't have to do that. But when you do commit, you got to be there. You have to be counted on. And I, that's part of Christian education. It's not just about book learning and, and uh, uh, knowledge. It's about character building, and that's, that's why we exist. So I want to show you how serious Jesus was about this. It, he was serious about it to uh, great suffering. This is John's Gospel 19, verses 28, 29, 30. New, uh, this is King James Version. After this... <clears throat> Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, says, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and they put it upon hyssop, and they put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now, he had earlier turned down the drinks that they'd offered him. And some of them were laced with drugs so that he would have been in a stupor while he was on the cross, and he wouldn't take them. 
but he hadn't fulfilled this last verse, this last prophecy. Let me read it to you. It's in Psalm 69, 21. In my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And basically he, he, they finally gave him vinegar, and he drank the vinegar. And it was the last thing that he did. But he knew that he turned this down several times because it was mixed with other things. But now he has to provoke them into putting the sponge back to his mouth again. So he says, I thirst. And they put the vinegar and the sponge up to his mouth. He drinks it. And now he knows, I have completed everything in the prophets. Every single little detail of my suffering has now been completed. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine what it must have taken for Christ to read all of those scriptures in the Old Testament that forecast every detail of his suffering and passion? He knows them all by heart. He knows that every little part of this has to be fulfilled. He knows he's going to be spit on. He knows they're going to pluck his beard. He knows they're going to mock him. They're going to blindfold him. He knows all of that. He knows they're going to put the scourge to him. He knows they will lay stripes on his back. He knows that all of his disciples, with the exception of John, he knows that they will all forsake him and run. He knows that Judas will betray him. He knows it all. And yet he goes to the cross anyway. And he is a finisher. And he demonstrates to us his heart for finishing. And so what I want you to see from all of this is that God places a very high value on continuing till the thing is completed. He doesn't start it just to ditch it halfway through. This is a convicting message for a lot of Christians because there are a lot of Christian people who start things and never intend to finish them. And they have a whole string of broken links in their chain just scattered around their lives because they've never completed an assignment, never completed a commitment, and I'm telling you, if you want the fullness of God's blessing on your life, make sure that you finish. You don't have to, you don't have to jump into everything. That's why you sit down first and you count the cost before you begin. But finishing is essential to God's character. That's all the time I have for today. But this spiritual law, the law of continuance, is a very important law. We're going to talk more about it in the next few days. See you then. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. Ratings and reviews help us reach more people. So take a moment to leave a review on your podcast app and consider sharing an episode with a friend or family member that needs to be built up and encouraged in the Lord today. Thank you for listening.